Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Barring a last-minute surprise sale, Snap Inc., maker of Snapchat, will IPO later this week. That may be today or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. It is the first listed tech IPO of 2017 after a 75-day drought and the biggest social media IPO since Twitter in 2013. The company will probably draw a valuation of about $20 billion. And I'm sure the main question most of you have today is, should I invest in Snap? So to help give an answer to that and all of your Snap needs, we turn to Bloomberg IPO reporter Alex Barinka and technology reporter Sarah Fryer, who who, who both have been covering the Snap theoretical IPO for months. So thanks for joining us, guys. The moment is almost here. Are you guys excited? I love how you keep calling it the theoretical exactly. IPO as the MA reporter. But you know, we've that's why we haven't had a tech deal yet because App Dynamics got bought out as we spoke about on the So that's past what I was podcast, gonna say. But... I'm I'm like super, super sensitive to this because the one other IPO <laughs> we thought that was gonna happen this year, App Dynamics ended up being a sale at the eleventh hour. So that's my first question to you guys. Are you a hundred percent positive that this thing is gonna happen? Alex, oh. I'm never 100% positive. Everything could change. Everything could change, but as the IPO reporter, uh, you know, I- I'm supposed to not have feelings about these things, but it'd be great to cover a listing. Not that that story wouldn't be interesting if it did get bought. Uh, but, you know, I love but the But you uh, are hired here for a reason. Exactly. And, it, it be, yeah. and that's to cover IPOs. So it would be nice if something uh, in your job area actually happened. I agree with that. Alex, maybe just give us the nuts and bolts on the IPO then. How much is Snap trying to raise? What's the float for this IPO, the ownership structure, et cetera? So they are looking to, uh, they're marketing about 200 million shares right now, not including the green shoe, at a $14 to $16 price range. That would be a $3.2 billion IPO size at the high end of that range. And that would give it a market value of about $18.5 billion when it, uh, if it lists at the high end of that range. So some of that is coming from um, Snap itself. Some of that is coming from some of its existing shareholders who are selling down their stakes in the listing. And the really interesting thing here about Snap's IPO, it's the first U.S. listed uh, new issuance of stock that has no voting rights. That means any of the new shareholders will not get to bring votable measures to proxy meetings. They won't get to sound off on executive pay. They won't get to nominate directors. They basically have no voice. And Sarah, on the other side, give us sort of the nuts and bolts about what Snap is and how does it draw in revenue? Is it, is it what's its plan for eventual profitability? How many users, et cetera? So to put it plainly, Snap is it's like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, it's a it's a social network, but it is used so differently. So when you open Snap, you open it. So open Snapchat, the app that Snap owns. I'm sorry, uh, you open directly to a camera. And so that forces you to, to get creating content. And you can send that content either to your friends or you can broadcast it to your story, which is you know you, kind of like a reality show of your life. And then all, elsewhere on the app, others are creating these too, including brands and media companies. And in fact, there's a whole section of the app called Snapchat Discover that has media companies like like ESPN and People Magazine that are creating millennial-friendly mobile versions of their product. And Snap makes money through advertising, like a lot of its competitors do, but their advertising is different. It's, it's vertical video ads, uh, because they feel like people don't want to flip their phones horizontally to watch a video. 
So advertisers are having to buy into that new format. And beyond that, they have all these interesting creative things you can do to your face. And these are called lenses. And so advertisers are paying for the ability to uh, turn your head into a talking taco or at the Super Bowl, you can pour Gatorade over yourself. Um, these are things that you can just do to your image and then send them to your friends or add them to your story. Finally, for like 20 years, I've wanted the ability to turn my face into a taco. And finally, <laughs> a company has heard me and delivering what exactly. I'm looking for. Vomiting um, rainbows, puppy ears, whatever. It's all there. Um, it changes almost daily. And that is the, the fun aspect of this app. So talk to us a little bit. You hinted that, uh, uh, and Alex too, that sort of the idea was to be millennial friendly here. Who, so who is the target demographic exactly, and how many users are we talking about? This has 158 million daily active users. And that might not sound like a lot if you think of Twitter's 300 million plus users, but actually Twitter only gives you monthly active users, so you have to think about it completely differently. Um, this is actually bigger than Twitter in terms of daily active users, and Facebook is the juggernaut in this space. They have more than a billion daily active users and uh, 1.8 billion monthly active users. So Snap is, is small, but not as small as some others. And what did the S1 teach us about how much money Snap brings in and, and, and uh, where it is in its sort of goal to become profitable? Oh, it's nowhere close to being profitable. Um, this is a company that has losses that are higher than its revenues. Um, made a little bit over $400 million last year, which is uh, an almost 7x increase from the year before. Uh, but the losses are are mounting. And that's mostly due to their relationship with Google, which requires them to spend billions of dollars on server storage for the next few years. This is a company that doesn't own its own data centers. So all of those disappearing messages you send, um, they have to be stored somewhere. And it's with Google and Amazon too now. All right. So I want to do a little mock debate here. Um, to address the question of should I or should I not invest in Snap, uh, you guys can choose your sides. Alex, do you want to be the bear or the I, bull? I will. Uh, I'll be the bear. I've talked to a, a great number. I feel like I can channel that side of this argument fairly well. All right, sounds good. So, Sarah, so so you're you're okay with being the bull in this? I'm I'm okay with being the bull because I've just spoken with so many people who are very pro Snap. Right, exactly. So you should have the pro biased take on this. Um, not to say that, look, I, and, and we're, there's not going to be a winner here. We'll just present the two sides, and then we'll let you make your decision, listener. Uh, uh, so, Alex, let's start with you. Um, why shouldn't I invest in Snap? Uh, so I am going to caveat this right off the bat and say um, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a long-term investor. The dynamics around actual listing day, these first few days of trading, that pop that you really want uh, to see in a successful IPO, I'm not talking about the folks who just want to get in, ride that out, and sell. So for the long-term people who want to hold on to this, I look at uh, the gross margin profile, which is still vastly negative. I am looking at those losses and infrastructure costs that Sarah is talking about. Uh, the, this company is losing more money than it's made. Its losses, again, $515 million vastly outpaces the $404 million in revenue uh, that it made last year. 
And and with that financial profile, there's not a lot of wiggle room for me when it comes to um, taking uh, really, really big risks uh, on the next big thing for Snap. And that is mostly because they haven't really laid out for me what that next thing is, right? You have the app um, that Sarah outlined. You have this millennial audience. You have this uh, basically um, one use case with a few variations. And I don't have any clarity and I haven't heard anything on the roadshow to explain to me what is next. Uh, for the the immediate short term, yes, the revenue model is still relatively new. They've only been making meaningful amounts of money for the past couple couple of years. But if I am a bear and I'm looking out for, let's say, a five-year investment horizon, there are way too many question marks and there's not enough proof in the pudding for me uh, to show that this is a management team that can uh, iterate again and again. There's just the one use case, right? So if I'm the bear and and I'm not going to invest in this or if I wanted to short this stock, then I would be thinking about um, these ideas and the fact that, you know, if they do come out and prove that they can uh, start to actually steal real ad dollars from the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, I'm not talking the experimental money that's being thrown at it because brands feel like they have to be on Snapchat. I'm talking stealing money from uh, the television ad pot. I'm talking stealing money from the Facebook ad pot. If I can see proof of that, then that might be what changes my mind. But I think on first blush, if 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 you are a bear, there are just a few too many uh, unknowns. And so uh, the most of the folks who I talk to who are in this camp tend to be a bit more risk averse. And, and that's what, what my read through is. When I hear that, I don't know what's coming next uh, argument. I certainly have alarm bells in my own head that, that scream Twitter. Which, right. was the, which has been Twitter's problem. And that's been the ghost. And that's been the overhang. And it's not just Twitter. You see uh, Groupon. Groupon was a one-trick pony. They had the daily deals. Consumers fatigued over those things. And that went, you know, down the drain. Same thing happened with Zynga. Zynga was the darling of the gaming world. They had their few games. And then they couldn't iterate on mobile. And the competition ate them for lunch, basically. So those are the, the, um, the, the ghosts of tech IPOs past that are kind of looming over the shoulder of a bear. Obviously, Facebook would be sort of the other way. I want to get – let's, let's talk about the comparisons to Twitter and Facebook in a second. But, Sarah, first, uh, okay, so we heard from Alex. So, so now give us the bull case. Well, I think that I, first of all, need to counter this, this they can't iterate thing because if you talk to anyone in Silicon Valley, they are just amazed with how many new things Snap has put into their product. And I'm not talking inventions like the iPhone here. I'm talking inventions in terms of how people communicate with one another that are just becoming standard practice. And and the evidence For, of first that first it was is... a taco and now it's a burrito. <laughs> well well first there were snaps and then there were these snap stories that, that made it this, you know, daily addicting update us on your life. You know, I've talked to a 19 year old girl in North Carolina who said that, you know, it used to be for Instagram, you just put the best photo of the night. Now for snap, you're snapping a video of getting ready for the concert in the car on the way to the concert, enjoying the concert. Uh, Afterwards, when you're so tired, you just can't keep your eyes open. And it's this raw new form of communication that Facebook is so jealous of. And we've seen them copy Snap's product over and over. And and when I say Snap's product, it's not this singular product that Alex was talking about so much as it's 
the the product of sending snap the product of snapchat stories the product of these live stories where oh, i didn't even mention that but when you submit your story uh, to your story you also have the option of submitting it to like a, this group story so like you know the if you're in new york the new york story if it's the super bowl maybe you have something related to the super bowl and then snap actually compiles those into uh something that's that's very entertaining that gives you a glimpse of how people are enjoying the same moment all over their user base and and of course slotting ads between that so i i think i think what differentiates this from twitter i know we're going to get deeper into that twitter when it went public a lot of the main sort of inventions that were amazing and, and you know known about on their platform have been created by their users. The hashtag, the retweet. I mean, those are things that we think of when we think of Twitter, but they weren't Twitter inventions. When it comes to Snap, they created these new forms of communicating that have become standards in messaging. They've proven that they can do this. Uh, and if you look, there's a chart on their S1 um, about midway through that that shows that every time they add this a new product whether it's the lenses the turning your face into a taco or stories you see a bump in user growth and so you know alex is right that this is this is a, a situation of of no voting control and you really don't know that much about the future but that means that you're going to just have to have a lot of trust in the management team and if you see the inventions that they've done so far and you hope that they can continue to create these things then that's what you're betting on alex rebuttal uh i was remiss and not uh with my bear hat on mentioning the user growth that sarah is talking about and uh the competition that sarah is talking about because yes Facebook has copied them, but every time we've seen them copy them, it seems to coincide with a drop in user growth. It's something that we saw in the quarter going into the IPO, which is a very uh, cautionary thing um, for a, a an investor who is not quite jazzed on uh, this company and its products already. But, you know, Snap, yes, they were first. They were the first mover in all these kind of little quirky things that um, folks love to use to communicate within the app. But they also talk about in the S1 how easily copyable everything that they're doing is. And we've seen Facebook do it with Instagram and stories. We've seen them start to do it with WhatsApp, which has, what, 1.2 billion daily active users. That's the, the messaging app that Facebook owns. That is something that if I think about um, this product, which does seem to have a fairly low barrier to entry, which doesn't have the number of users that uh, Facebook and its Instagram and its WhatsApp already have, it's, you know, Twitter is kind of the specter of the financial side of things. Facebook seems to be, uh, you know, the ghost of tech future here saying, look, every move you make, we are going to copy it and we're going to try to do it better. I was going to start singing every move you make, um, <laughs> but I won't. Sarah, maybe you can help me explain this. Uh, Snap seems hell-bent on calling itself a camera company uh, rather than like a social media company. Why? Is that supposed to be some signal that they're going to get into hardware or something? They already are getting into Besides hardware. spectacles? <laughs> Besides spectacles, yeah. Yeah, so I think what they're trying to do here is frame the future of their company in a manner more similar to a Google or an Amazon, where like, yes, we've had this one big invention, but it's not the only big invention we'll make, and this is not the only not 
our only product. And, you know, I think when you think of Snap, they're, they're doing a lot of things in a way that, that nobody's done them before, but there are a lot of things that they're borrowing from other companies that they've liked, like Google turning itself into Alphabet Inc., for example, or the voting structure thing, right? That's something that Google and Facebook did to some extent after they were already public and successful. So they're taking those things that they're like, yeah, eventually you'd want to do that, and they're just doing them before the IPO. And this Snap Inc., they describe themselves as, you know, Snap Inc., the owner of Spectacles and Snapchat and more to come. Spectacles, not a big dent on on their balance sheet right now. I mean, not no significant revenue to speak of. I should um, note we're all wearing were... our spectacles right now as we speak. <laughs> we just wear them 24 hours. Always, always. It is my um, Twitter avatar. And Alex's too now, right? Uh, I, mean, I haven't they, changed it yet, you know. I let you win like that one. Minutes. Yeah. But, you know, it is interesting that the one kind of little nugget, and this might give a little glimpse into at least what they're thinking about, that Sarah and I heard uh, outside of the New York Roadshow from folks who were on the inside. Uh, Evan did talk about this idea that they have the capability, if they wanted to, uh, to build basically a 3D map of images uh, at, at a Harry Potter world or Universal Studios or something like that. That's not to say they're actually going to do it, but I think that he felt the need to kind of give the kind of flavor of, you know, these are the kind of things that we're thinking about in terms right. of you know something that's very picture driven and they, the picture is want inherently you to think of the camera. And a lot of people here in Silicon Valley think of them as sort of an augmented reality company because they have this this constant stream of images from around the world. They can do a lot of things with those images that require computer vision or machine learning where they they can, you know, put uh, something else in the room with you, or they can they can add um, you know something that that wasn't there, or even w- maybe through your glasses you'd be able to see something that's more uh, fantasy and, and merge with your real world the kind of way that you do in your um, your lenses that turn you into a puppy or whatever. So Sarah, you know Twitter and Facebook are sort of the obvious comparisons to Snap. Oddly, Twitter's IPO went smoothly, and it's post. IPO life has suffered, whereas Facebook has pretty much been the exact opposite, an IPO that drew criticism for being mispriced, and an afterlife that has been quite successful. What are the lessons that Snap is drawing or should be drawing from those two companies? Oh, I think the the biggest indication in their S1 that they've been looking at those IPOs, especially Twitter's, is the fact that they say that they don't care about conquering the world in terms of user growth. Um, they are very consistently explaining that this is not a company that needs to have every person with a smartphone using it. And I think that 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 is just a direct rebuttal to when we saw Twitter go public. And they basically said that they were going to, their, their goal was to have the largest social platform in the world for letting people know what they're, what's going on real time. And that set them up for a lot of criticism over its monthly active user base. Now, I don't think that Snap's going to escape this criticism of, of their user base growth. Uh, that's just something that they're not going to be able to, to do. But at least they've explained to investors, this is not the main way we want to measure ourselves. And, and, and you is- know, 
looking at, at these deals too, it, it is it is they are jumping full headlong into the life of being a public company, which is so much about the expectations game, right? They are laying out here the expectations for you know usually the first uh, year and a half of their life. Uh, that's uh, that seems to be with both Twitter and Facebook. That was when the nexus point was about a year and a half in. There was an earnings that either really impressed in Facebook's case or really disappointed in Twitter's case, and proved that the bets that they said they were going to make at the IPO were actually paying off. So it is it has become an expectations game. And it's also been interesting with this deal specifically. When we started reporting back in September, um, again, according to our sources, the valuation they were coming in at initially, we were hearing 25 as high as $40 billion market value, right? That has steadily come down, uh, down to 20 to 25, and now down to the actual market value that they're aiming for, which is about 16.2 to 18.5. There's some wiggle room in there, whether you're looking at fully diluted or not, uh, or just uh, total shares outstanding. But my point being, it seems to be they have been playing the expectations game here and, and potentially talking to some people who are on the investor community side looking at this deal. Not giving so much of a look into the future is actually allowing them to pleasantly surprise later down the road um, than, you know, Potentially pull a Twitter and have folks be unimpressed. So millennials are are historically very fickle, uh, and they'll move from one product nah. to the next product. <laughs> Facebook has been able to overcome that by not really gearing their product to millennials. In fact, they sort of decided, all right, we're going to play the whole world game here. And so, you know, your 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 grandmother may be on Facebook at this point. Certainly, your parents. I think for people that uh, are listening to this, that they're still alive. Uh, I can't imagine a world where an older demographic suddenly jumps on to snap. Am I wrong, or does that not matter? So if I'm still playing bull here, the the, the thing that I've heard that, that people say over and over um, when they're trying to defend Snap's potential is if you look at Twitter, the, the limit to Twitter's growth is that not everyone is a celebrity or a politician or a sports figure who actually feels they have something to say every day to a follower base, um, you know, that's that's witty or interesting or news-breaking or whatever. Everyone wants to send pictures to their friends. And we've seen that with Facebook. We've seen that with Instagram. And so if this is changing the way we communicate, then sure, everyone is eventually going to be on it. For a long time, nobody was on Facebook because it's like, oh, you kids with your newfangled Facebook, why don't you just call your friends on the phone? Like, this is, you know, this is so removed, like, from how people actually interact. Well, Facebook turned into the way that people actually interact, and and that's what Snapchat's trying to do. So, so the addressable user base then becomes everyone who wants to talk to their friends. And you saw that kind of injected. If you watch the Retail Roadshow video, uh, there's lots of talk about feelings and empathy and uh, intimate conversations and things like that, which, frankly, I've seen a lot of these videos. That's not usually the uh, the lines well, that are thrown it, around. It, I, don't, I don't really understand. Isn't the medium supposed to be disappearing? Why would that be like a long, empathetic conversation? Because when you think about the use case, and, and you know, I am a, I'm a millennial. I, I am on Snap. I use it. it I use it to talk to my friends. I use it to, uh, this morning I worked out and sent a, uh, you know, sweaty picture of myself to one of my friends and was like dying this morning. You know, it's a one-to-one thing. I'm not posting 
that on my story. I'm not showing that to everyone. But, you know, one of my friends in North Carolina who I would normally text, instead of texting her, I send her a funny picture or I draw a funny face or something like that. So, and Alex, you're, you're tapping into just the difference between – so you have to remember that in the millennials that we're talking about here um, in Gen Z, they grew up with – Facebook in high school and Instagram in high school or, or in middle school. And I thank my little brother for helping me understand this. This is a generation that when they posted a photo, they had to instantly check how many people were liking it or commenting on it or making them, you know, saying that it was good, saying it was bad. They're constantly looking for gratification in the form of, of some kind of acknowledgement, the little red notification dot that appears on your phone, right? Snap is a place where you can send the sweaty picture that you don't want to put on Instagram because you don't look like a Kardashian, right? It's a place where you can be raw. And so that's one thing that I hear from the younger set that they really enjoy about the app is it's nothing's going on your permanent record for like, Oh, you know, this is how, you know, this is how her perfect life looks. Right. That's a lot of the way that, that people have used Instagram and Facebook. They're the, only the best vacation photos, only the, the most eloquent political statements, you know, on, on snap, you can just be silly and you can be yourself and you can be, you can have your mascara running or, or you can be tired from workout. It's, it doesn't have to be polished. I mean, to like break it down, I, I had a birthday last weekend, right? And in the course of that birthday, I sent a hello message from everyone at the table via Snapchat to somebody who wasn't there. It's funny. We're making faces, things like that. We took a pretty cute picture and that got edited on Instagram and also posted to Facebook. Um, I checked in on, on uh, Facebook and Instagram and then kind of kept snapping along the way. Uh, Instagram stories too, things that I post there are not quite as raw as snap though i do see tend to you know record video on snap save it and then post that video to both so that kind of shows the breakdown instagram facebook it's a one time once in the moment once a night thing uh snap was kind of the ongoing presence of you know join us on this ride tonight as we're eating dinner at union fair that's a pretty good breakdown i think uh so if if uh i i hope that people that listen to this either have a better understanding of Snap or at least understand sort of the drawbacks uh, and the potential upside to this unusual company uh, and by far uh, the most exciting, uh, largest tech IPO we have had in a while. Uh, Sarah Fryer, Bloomberg Technology Reporter, and Alex Barenka, Bloomberg IPO Reporter. Thank you both for joining us. And thank you, as always, for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, You can catch all of our episodes on iTunes or Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal or any app you use to listen to podcasts, please remember to rate and review the show on iTunes while you're there. It helps more people find the show. Also, uh, follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Sarah, where can people find you on Twitter? At Sarah Fryer. Uh, And Alex, where can people find you on Twitter? At Alex Barinka. And where can people find you on Snap? Uh, I am Barinka on Snap. Uh, though, though I can't guarantee I'll accept your request. Correct. Because it's for it's my a different friends. game. Agreed. Uh, but if you, if if for some reason I did want to see a post-workout mascara running picture of Sarah, <laughs> I can at least try uh, if I Same find her handle. on Snapchat. Yes. Same handle. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you as always for listening, and see you next week. Mm-hmm.